All right, we've been in this series talking about the pace, and the question that keeps coming to my mind as we talk about this every week is, why do I live my life the way that I do, or why do I live my life at the pace at which I'm living it? And so this morning, we're going to continue on with that and talk about this idea of the pace of peace. Uh, to get started on, though, I'm going to have to have you guys talk to each other a little bit. So what you're going to do is you're going to answer two questions, and you're going to do things on a scale of 1 to 10, okay? 1 is always low, 10 is always high. The first one is think about something this week, a situation, a relationship of something that caused you stress this week, and rate your stress on a scale of 1 to 10. Again, 1 is like it was hardly anything, 10 it was a whole lot of stress, okay? Think of that moment. And then the second thing you're going to do is you're going to rate how pleased you were with your response to that stressful situation, okay? So the first one is what was the stressful situation, and then how pleased were you with uh, your response to it? So stress level, response to it, you have 27 seconds on your marks, you said, go. I'm going to catch you off there. Uh, thanks a lot for doing that. <laughs> it's pretty fun to hear you guys talking and stuff. So uh, first question. So how many of you, uh, when you were rating your stress this week, your stress number was higher than a five? Higher than a five. All right. You got some stressful people in here. Okay. Uh, or stressed out people. And then how many of you, your response to that stress for this week was less than a five, meaning you weren't so happy with it? All right. Good deal. Uh, well, I mean, I'm not happy for you, but I'm just saying, uh, we actually have something to talk about. So that's good. Hey, so uh, what we're going to do, I'm going to guess, is whatever your stressor was this week, whatever that thing was, it was probably important to you, right? That's kind of a no-brainer. Like, you wouldn't have stressed about it if it wasn't something that's significant to you. You were concerned about it at some level. So what I wanted to do is share with you uh, this little tool that my mentor had shared with me several years ago. It's been really helpful to me. Um, it's the idea of a circle of uh, concern versus a circle of control. So first, the circle of concern is going to come on. And as that screen is up there, uh, topics are going to pop in there. And I'm going to guess that a lot of the things that you were thinking of that were stressful to you this week are in there. Um, because those are things that are important to us as people, right? You know, politics, parents, church, children, uh, Puppies, uh, economy, all that kind of stuff. Why do you guys laugh at puppies? The other I laughed at puppies too. That's rude. Okay, so anyway, so these things are all things that we care about. Now, then when you went to the place where you responded, you, you evaluated your response to the stressor. You gave yourself a number. So here's what happens is uh, when we left you space in the outline, if you want to do this later or go home and you can give it a little more time and think through, hey, what's something I'm stressed out about? What's going on? And you write out this circle and you list the things, maybe some of those things or something else that you are concerned about and it's causing you stress. And then you follow up with this question. It's a really simple question. Which of those things do I have control over? And then a little circle is going to pop up down here. It's called the circle of control. And that's where you write the answer to that question. Which of those things do I actually have control over? And it's smaller by design because there's really only one answer. And that is our attitude or our response to the situations. 
that stress us out. Because as important as some of those things are in our circle of concern, whether it's your kids, your parents, your spouse, you really don't have the ability to control what they say and what they do. And even though we get to elect public officials and there's an electoral college, that doesn't really mean at the end of the day that we get to control what the people in Washington, D.C. are coming up with, with the laws that they are passing or not passing. And even though the environment and puppies might be of critical importance to us in our lives, we don't get to control ultimately what happens to all of those things. And so if you're like me, what happens is these things that are so important to us are stressing us out, and we would love to be able to control them to influence the outcome for those different areas or different relationships in our lives. And then as we begin to realize that we can't, our response to that begins to deteriorate. We have stress and we have anxiety, and maybe we said something that we wish we could take back, or maybe we did something that we wish we could undo. Uh, here's a little saying that we put it in this week that hopefully will help you remember. But all of us have lost control while trying to control something or someone that is not under our control. All of us have lost control while trying to control something or someone that is not under our control. And I would imagine to guess that most of the stress in your life, for sure most of the stress in my life, comes from situations and relationships where I am trying to control something or someone that is not under my control. And if I try it long enough, I get frustrated and I eventually lose control with my words and with my actions. So this morning what we're going to do is we're going to look at a letter. It's a couple thousand years old. It's written by a guy named Paul. Uh, we call it the book of Philippians, but it's really a very short letter that this guy Paul wrote. And we're going to look and see what he had, what advice he had for people in our situation who are considering the pace of our life and how the pace of peace might look for us. So a little bit of background before we jump into it. Paul was a guy who had incredible prestige who had a following, who had influence, who arguably maybe even had some education and some wealth. And then one day he meets this guy named Jesus who tells him that everything he's been doing is going against him and going in the wrong direction. So he begins to change his ways, begins to accept the teachings of this guy Jesus and follows him, meaning he begins to do and to say the very same things that Jesus had been doing and had been saying. And so he takes all the things that he had that were a prized possession to him and he has to leave them behind in order to live this new life. And as he's living this new life, he's going out and he's starting churches all over the Mediterranean Rim. And as he's doing that, he begins to find himself in more and more trouble. And eventually he's arrested, he's thrown in jail, and there he's writing these letters to people. And this is one of those letters that he's writing. And he's writing it to a church, a group of people not too different than us, who live in the city of Philippi. Now here's what's interesting about the city of Philippi, and this might seem like a random fact, but it's very, very important for what we're going to talk about this morning. It was a town where a lot of military folks would retire. So here's why that's a big deal. In the Roman Empire, their commander-in-chief, who their armed forces would have pledged their allegiance to and uh, their authority to, just like our armed forces would do the same, they would come under their commander-in-chief, which is for us, is the president of the United States. For them, it was the emperor. For them, their emperor was not only the commander-in-chief, but he was also seen as a deity. So you can imagine how well it wouldn't go over if a Jewish guy, the Jewish people were seen as a little bit of a nuisance to some of the Romans, came into a town and began telling people the gospel. Now, the gospel 
gospel, uh, as you know, is, is another way to say good news. And more specifically, in a lot of circumstances and government situations, the word gospel meant to proclaim the good news of the new king. Okay, so imagine again a military town where all of these military officers have pledged their allegiance to the Roman Empire and also the Roman emperor who is not only their commander in chief but also their deity. This Jewish guy shows up and begins to tell them there is a new king in town and he is more powerful than any other king and he demands everything from you. So the people in the city of Philippi are beginning to face some opposition as they begin to follow Jesus and believe that he really is the true king. So they're, they're facing family pressure. They're facing pressure at work or maybe losing their job. Maybe they're also being uh, threatened with being thrown in jail or maybe even being physically beaten or abused because they're saying that this Jewish guy, Jesus, is the king rather than the emperor of Rome. And so this is the context. So these people are facing persecution. They're concerned about things. If you are a parent and you were in the threat of of losing your job, you were concerned about your family, you were concerned about the well-being of your family, you were concerned about providing food and shelter for your family. So all of these things are concerned for them, and they can't control any of them. And so Paul is writing this letter, and we're going to go to chapter 4 and start in verse 4. So if you've got a Bible or device with scripture, it'll be on the screens, it's in the app, it's in the paper if you picked one of those up on the way in. So this is what Paul is saying to this group of people. Chapter 4, verse 4, he says, Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to everyone. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, with prayers and petitions, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. So what I want to do for the next few moments is just go sentence by sentence and talk about how important each thing that Paul is saying to the people that he's writing to and to us in the year 2020. The very first thing he says, if you're doing the fill in the blanks, is rejoice in the Lord always. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, this is coming from a guy who has lost everything. Everything that he worked for to achieve, his status, his accomplishments, he willfully laid it aside. In fact, in this very same letter, Paul says, whatever was to my profit, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For whose sake I've given up all things, I consider them rubbish. He wanted to have a righteousness that came through faith, not a righteousness that comes through the law, through his own ability to do things. And then he goes on to say that I want to know Christ. And the power of his resurrection, I want to share in his sufferings, and I want to become like him in his death. So somehow to ascertain the resurrection from the dead. Paul had everything and willfully gave up everything just to know Jesus. He was perfectly content. 
with just Jesus. In fact, he wrote that too. Later in the same chapter, in chapter 4, he says this. He says, I know what it's like to have a lot, and I know what it's like to be in need. I know what it's like to have more than enough to eat, and I know what it's like to be hungry. And I have learned the secret of being content. For I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Because Paul had come to a place where he realized his real strength, his real life, wasn't from his circumstances, wasn't from trying to get control of the circle of concerns, but his life came from knowing the king, Jesus. And so he's encouraging people to rejoice in him, rejoice in the fact that we get to know him. Rejoice in the fact that God who created everything desires to be with us. Uh, the next line, we didn't put it in the outline, but it says this, let your gentleness be evident to all. And so the word gentleness that he's referring to, he's referring to this poem that he put in chapter 2. It's referring to the gentleness that Christ has shown to all of us. And Paul starts off chapter 2 by saying, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, any comfort from his love, any fellowship with the Spirit, if you have any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete. Being like-minded, having the same love, and being one in spirit and in purpose. Do nothing out of vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourselves. For each of you should not look only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. For your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, and now becomes the gentleness that he's talking about, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped. But instead he made himself nothing, becoming a servant, as he was found in human likeness. And because he was made into a man, he became obedient to death, even death on a cross. And the Father gave him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee in heaven and on earth and below the earth shall bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. So after we have rejoiced in who our king is and that he just simply wants to be with us, Paul reminds us that we need to treat other people with gentleness the way that he has treated us. I don't think it's coincidence that he puts that in there because in verse 2 of chapter 4, Paul is pleading with these two ladies in the church who have helped him and served by his side in the ministry and even done ministry on their own, so to speak, sharing the gospel and telling people who Jesus is and the difference that he has made. And they have had a conflict. And so Paul pleads with them to reconcile their differences. And so again, if you're like me and you're thinking through your circle of concern and the things that are stressing you out, there's a really good chance that it has to do with the relationship or other people in your life. Because broken relationships are one of the greatest sources of stress in our life. They're also one of the greatest opportunities for us to live out the gospel, to live out the love of Jesus to somebody else. And to show the rest of the world how much difference it makes when we understand the grace that has been given to us. 
And so Paul is putting this in there because he knows that the people he's writing to are incredibly concerned about their well-being and their welfare because they live in a world that doesn't value what they value and is persecuting them for it. And he also understands that they live in a world, in a church, in a community where people's desires for control in their own way will create conflict. Anxieties and stress. And the next thing he says is this, do not be anxious about anything. Real quick time out. Um, lots of psychologist type people will tell you uh, that when the Bible speaks, speaks about being anxious, it's not talking about panicky, panic anxiety disorders. It's not talking about PTSD. Uh, this guy named Archibald Hart is the main guy that I read on this. And he would tell you that a lot of those disorders uh, didn't even exist back then based upon what he reads in scripture and what he reads in other writings from that time. Uh, primarily, those things didn't exist back then because the pace at which they lived their life uh, was so different than ours. So these kind of things are new for us. So if you, uh, like me, if you have uh, some kind of a mental illness, I have uh, clinical depression, he's not talking about that. He's talking about the things that were in the circle of concern, just day-to-day -day things where we wish we had control over them that we don't have. So he's telling us to not be anxious about those things. And then he tells us what to do. He says, present your request to God through prayers and petitions with thanksgiving. So here's what he's getting at. He's like, if you would learn to take all of these things, these relationships, these circumstances that are causing stress and anxiety in your life and turn them into prayers and petitions to our Heavenly Father, he's going to do something incredible. Because if you think about it, if I acknowledge that I can't control my spouse and my kids, if I can't control the people at work, but I begin to pray to my Father in heaven, Jesus, would you please help me? Because the people that my son is running with, the people that my daughter is hanging around with, I know it's not good for them. Father, would you please help my attitude towards people at work because I feel like they're not pulling their weight or they're operating in a way that lacks integrity. He makes a promise that if we learn to do those things, that the peace of God will guard our hearts and our minds in Christ Jesus. So Dion, our intern, uh, he and I put this sermon together this week. He's preaching upstairs in traditional service. We asked a couple questions. First of all, what is the peace of God? Second of all, how does the peace of God guard our hearts and our minds? And third, what is it guarding our hearts and our minds from? So the first one, when the Bible talks about the peace of God, it's not talking about peace in the way that we often think of it. So many times when we think of peace, we think of the absence of conflict. If there's peace in a region, there's an absence of conflict. When we talk about the peace of God, we're talking about things being whole or being restored to the way they're intended to be or the way they were created to be. For example, I have a wife and four kids, and in our house, if we go a week without arguing or a week without bickering or complaining, that is not peace. Um, probably means we all went to church camp or something because we're not home. Um, but but if, if you contrast that with the week of the peace of God, what it looks like is my wife and I loving and respecting each other, even when we don't feel like it, 
it looks like my wife and I working together, praying together to parent our children together so that they can become followers of Jesus and they can become responsible citizens in our community. Do you see the difference? It's not just that we're not fighting, that we're cohabitating and just not getting at each other's throats. It's that we're working together, that there is wholeness the way that God intended for it to be. So that's what the peace of God is. And so what Paul is getting at is when you come to God and you begin to pray about the things that are causing you angst, anxiety, and stress, and they're causing you to, to kind of freak out during the week, and if you come and you understand the wholeness that we have because of what Jesus Christ did through his death, burial, and resurrection, supernatural things begin to happen. That peace, that understanding that we are whole and that we have a hope of things to come begins to guard our hearts and our minds. From what? From that craving to be in control of things that we'll never be in control of. The people in our lives, the circumstances in our lives. And so when we come to him and we make prayers out of the things that are stressing out, remembering that he has made us right with himself through his son, Jesus Christ, and he has promised that we will experience eternity with him when everything will be restored as it should be, he begins to guard our hearts and our minds in Christ Jesus. Now, here's the thing. I wish this was a one-off thing, but it's not. This is something that I have to do on a regular basis. The past couple of months for me has been started like this in the mornings. I get up and I have specific scriptures, uh, some of which I'm going to share with you in a minute, and I just pray these things every single morning because every single day I go out into life and I live in the real world and I bump into things that I can't control and I bump into relationships and I have all this stuff that isn't right and there's garbage inside of me and so I have to constantly go back to him. So I read a book. Uh, the book is called The Pressure is Off. It's by a guy named Larry Crabb, and he has something in there called the Papa Prayer. And what we're going to do for the remainder of our time is just kind of walk through this prayer. Uh, it's in the outlines. It's in the app. Um, you can get it online. It's pretty easy. Uh, but I wanted to share it with you. And so we're just going to take some time doing it. Uh, and what we do is there's four parts to it. The first part is the P. It's an acronym. And it says, you just present yourselves to God as you are. And so this is where I want to encourage you. The more honest you are with yourself and with God, the more likely you are to experience freedom. And it's okay if you're a little salty when you go to him. It's okay. It's okay if you're mad. It's okay if you're saying ugly and, and messed up stuff. He already knows you're thinking that anyway. So present yourselves to him as you really are. So what we're going to do is I'm going to invite you guys just to, to close your eyes and bow your heads, and I'll kind of lead you in a thing. I'll, I'll, I'll tell you what to kind of talk about with Jesus, talk about with him, and I'll tell you the next thing. So the first part is just the P. Let's present ourselves as we truly are to our Father in heaven.
The next part is A, attend to where you notice God's presence or absence. So if something came to your mind or a relationship came to your mind, press into that a little bit and figure out why it's there. At this point in our prayer time, we need to recognize that we have a choice. So the next P is for purge. Are you willing to purge the things that are in your heart and your mind that are keeping you from noticing that God is right near you? Or maybe there are things in your life, activities or relationships that you need to get rid of as well because they're keeping you from recognizing the goodness of God and the closeness of God. Final A is for approaching God with abandonment and confidence. Remember that we were truly made to enjoy our Father in heaven. But in order to be with him, we have to receive his grace, which means we have to let go of our pride and our self-sufficiency. just a moment uh, we're going to sing I'll pray first uh, as always we have the, the benches up here if you want to come and pray up here up front during the song you're welcome to do that I'll stick around afterwards if you have questions or need someone to pray with you um, but let me just close this in a time of prayer Jesus thank you so much for who you are and what you've done we think you're amazing and uh, my desire is that all of us would leave this room today desiring to be more aware of your presence in our life. And Lord, please help us to follow Paul's advice in doing so. You're a very good dad, and you're an amazing Savior. It's in Jesus' name that we pray.